Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Empowered Artist Collective podcast. My name is Jennifer Apple, she, her, and this week I talk to Andrea Prestonario about queerness in musical theater. Andrea shares her journey as a queer performer and producer and what led her to co-found Ring of Keys, which is an incredible nonprofit artist service organization for queer and trans artists in musical theater. We talk about the need for queer visibility and representation, creating change even if it takes time, and what it means to lead by example and trust your intuition. Enjoy. Hi, Andrea. Hi. <laughs> Lovely to see you. <laughs> Great to see you as well. Um, welcome to the space. I mean, this is like, I feel like obviously I want to introduce who you are. Actually, let me introduce who you are and then we could talk about how we met because this is just, I feel like we have to bring that into the room. But who are you today? <laughs> today? Um, I am a proud queer woman and I'm a performer, producer, and the uh, co-founder of Ring of Keys. Yes, you are. Amazing. Which we'll probably talk more about later. Fairly certain. Most of this episode will probably revolve somewhere <laughs> around that. Um, yeah, we met. Okay. I mean, like, <laughs> we were singing the same voice part, standing next to each other. Sharing a binder. Sharing a binder. Correct. <laughs> at a benefit concert and then we didn't realize while we were there that we both were like meaning to reach out to the other person yeah and then it was like wait here we are <laughs> I literally had the empowered artist collective tab like up on yep. my google chrome like yep. on my I had same I had ring of keys <laughs> literally up for a long time like on my to-do list and I had like watched episodes on youtube and seen your face and your name and still no yeah. I think yep. I, I was like getting over a virus or starting a virus. I was just like not myself that yeah. night. And I was like, I think that I will, I will excuse it for, for that reason. But honestly, we're living, happens. yeah. And we're like living in weird times where like not only does time mean nothing, but also just like the continuum kind of is just, I don't like it just none of it really makes sense to me at least. And I feel like I'll speak kind of on behalf of many people that it's just like, I feel like the barometer of excusing strange interactions and behavior has gone higher for me where I'm just like, it, it, it is. Yeah. It kind of is our new norm of like yeah. this post-pandemic world where we're just living in extreme circumstances of yeah. like, we haven't seen each other. We've been in isolation. Yeah. How do we do this human thing again? Yeah. You know? Yeah. But like, we're apparently supposed to just like, remember, I feel like we've the it's happened. Like we're meant to just be back on this hamster wheel. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. I don't, I don't want to be a hamster anymore. Like I want to be, a, I want to be a guinea pig or a p bunny. I think like, I don't need the. I think I still want to be the hamster and I like try to be, and I'm like, I can't, I can't, this is, it's yeah. not actually um, possible anymore. Like yeah. I want to keep going, 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 going. And then I'm like, I actually can't do what I used to be able to do. Yeah. I think I, I think I, I for better or for worse, I feel like I can. And yeah. then. I'm like, but then I like slow my literal role on the hamster wheel. And I was like, but I learned, I learned over the pandemic and don't be dumb and forget that you learned you didn't want to be here. Step off, step get off the wheel, off, get off, off the, wheel. the wheel, really trying. We can talk about hamsters the Metaphor. whole time. It'd be a very yeah. different podcast episode. Um, I'm, I want to hear the origin story slash who you are in artist land to lead up towards Ring of Keys and for anybody who's listening, what that is so that we can lead up to that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I have been singing and since before I could read, I was started 
very young and decided at 11 years old that I was going to do musical theater for the rest of my life. And um, I was a pretty intense child. I was like at 13, like, mom, I need piano lessons because I need to be more marketable. (laughs) The word marketable was like part of your amazing. We live. We live. Right. Right. (laughs) So like that's kind of. I'm giving you my origin story, which will like help segue into the Ring of Keys origin story, which in a way Ring of Keys was birthed from me. So it's one and the same. Yeah. So I I studied musical theater in college and lived in Chicago for um, eight years and worked in that um, community for, I think, yeah, eight years before moving to New York. Um, I was closeted throughout college and I didn't come out until I graduated I mean I graduated in 04 so that also gives you like kind of the the lens of the, like the landscape yeah. at the time I um was a soprano ingenue and did not have any 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 role models that were queer at all mm. um so yeah I was really really terrified of being both a lesbian and a soprano I was like mm. those worlds are siloed they cannot coexist. Did you feel that way because you didn't have representation for the ways they could coexist? Or was it more that like you felt from external pressure in some way that like one would negate the other? Yeah, I think both. I think because there was no representation, um, it didn't seem possible. It also felt like career suicide to to come out and not be taken seriously as the like young love interest. Yeah. Which is a lot of like internalized homophobia, really. Mm. Um, so yeah. So, I mean, it's funny, I have short hair now, but I, um, just in college was like, well, you know, we're kind of wrestling with my sexuality and trying to figure it out. And remember, remember walking around campus saying to myself, like, Oh, okay. I'm not gay. Yeah. I'm not gay. (laughs) Because like, I don't want to cut my hair short. Like, Ellen DeGeneres. So I'm not gay. Like that was like my understanding of what a gay woman looked like. It was one type, right? Mm -hmm. We didn't have any, any femme representation, um, let alone all the other kind of, you know, the ranges of identities that fall under the queer spectrum. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I, I worked professionally in Chicago for eight years, um, worked, built up an, like a, big body of work and got to do a lot of great things there. And, um, was just like, I went through a breakup and was like, I'm ready for New York. Like I need to, I want to be on Broadway. I need to get there. I want to do this. My final show in Chicago before moving was gypsy and I played Louise and the woman who, um, played my mama Rose is now my wife. Oh, plot twist. Plot twist. It's a good meet cute. Wait, can we talk? Do you mind sharing that? Yes. It's our favorite, like, way to start the story of how we met. Oh, my God. I'm obsessed. (laughs) (laughs) Mother and daughter um, are just off in the wings. And people are like, don't ask, don't tell. It just (laughs) sounds that way. Yeah. It sounds like we make it sound more, like, salacious than it actually was. But, I mean, we met doing that show. And we, um, when I met her, her dog Sprout at the time, who was four months old, became our Chowsy. And due to like just some weird dressing room arrangements, myself and her and the dog shared a dressing room. And like our family story like started unknowingly in that dressing room, which is crazy. So we became like really good friends. And one of like the, I was like very talent crushing on her because she was just this like, 
I mean, she is a fucking force. She's legendary. Clea mm-hmm. Blackhurst. I'm, I'm name dropping. Um, please name. <laughs> yes. Um, I, yeah, I met her and I was like, oh my God, another lesbian woman that is an actress. Like I had worked in Chicago for eight years and never worked with another lesbian actress. That's really, queer, really queer wild. Art, like known, I should say. At this point in your journey, were you out? Yes, yes, yes. So sorry. Okay. So I, I, had, I, I came out like right after college. Okay. To everyone. Yeah. But except I wasn't as like out and such a queer advocate as I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, yeah, I was, I was out. It was a little more uncomfortable. It wasn't. There were certain spaces I didn't discuss it or like I don't remember telling my Chicago agent like I'm gay and. These are the roles I want to be seen for, but although there weren't like gay roles then. So, Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I I was definitely out and it just was something I kind of still kept on the shelf. Anyway, it was my last show. It was I was excited to be moving to New York and she was she lived there. She was like a New York person who came, did the show in Chicago. And I was just like, we have to stay in touch. Oh, my God, this is so cool. So, yeah, I mean, like a year later, we started dating year and a half. I can't remember the timeline, but like oh um, she was with someone else at the time during Gypsy and they ended up breaking up. And um, yeah, we just became like really, really, really good friends and then like crossed the friend line and it was like, oh, my God, this is happening. Um, so yeah. I love this so much. This is such a cute meet cute. Oh, my God. We, we just got married this past June. Oh, my God. And- Mazel tov. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Oh, I'm obsessed. Wait, how long were you dating then? Eight years. That's wow. a common number, I guess. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Eight years. And like our, the processional of our wedding started with dun, 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 da, 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 da. Oh, I produced everything. an entire like concert ceremony. <laughs> I'm obsessed with this whole thing. So like, that's such a good story. I hope you're yeah. writing this for something that is of TV. TV. That's a good idea. Yeah. Or a movie. That's a great idea. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, Let's do it. Anyone listening can. Yeah. We've had many people on these episodes prior who either produce film, write film, do the thing. We've had many an episode. So feel free to go back in that catalog and browse. Okay. (laughs) We'll do. We'll do. Yeah. Um. Wow. Okay. Amazing. So you're married, all that thing, all the things. But at this point, I guess Ring of Keys came prior to the I Yeah. So I moved to New York in um, 2012 end of 2012. Yeah. So I, I'm first couple of years in New York, I, you know, was just kind of making my way and figuring it out and everything. But I mean, I remember coming out to my agent, my New York agent in like 2015, like that yeah. gives you kind of a scope of how much things have changed and how quickly they have changed. Yeah. Um, Cause I, I met my ring of keys co-founder Royer Bacchus in 2017 or 18. And she had the same experience that I had meeting Cleo, which was like, Oh my God, another lesbian actress. Oh my God. This is like so impactful. I've never met someone like me. This is like, I, we need to be friends and mm-hmm. we didn't fall in love. Don't worry. Like that's not part of the story, but we just no decided to like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we did, we did like make a baby though. So yeah there's that we launched ring of keys in 2018 and we had basically decided that because the impact of our friendship meant so much to us we felt like where is our community like 
at that point and still continues. I mean, we knew that this industry is dominated by gay men. And I always say like, we love our, our gay men. Like we love them, but we felt like we needed our own space. Like it was such an old gay boys club. Mm. And like, where was the space for the rest of us in the queer spectrum? I like to say that musical theater is gay, but not queer. Mm. And what do I you mean by that? It's, um, just the very idea that it serves a lot of of gay men. It serves a specific kind of community. Mm-hmm. It wasn't serving like a more inclusive, larger spectrum community. And when I mean serving, I mean like providing opportunities, hiring, um, telling the stories of people beyond cis gay men. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think what's important to remember, too, in the scope of our queer history is these are the gay men that we lo- we lost so many of them in the AIDS mm-hmm. crisis. And so I don't want to negate the work that they've done or have never wanted to negate like the progress that we've made. It was like, it's, it's a kind of a yes and response to yeah. what exists. Yeah. We were like, let's make a space and it's going to be a monthly potluck and we're going to meet and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to rally the friends we already know that are a part of this um, spectrum this affinity space we're going to make it we're going to build it and then she left to go do osf for the season so she was gone from like february to august or something and very quickly the organization started to grow and it started to grow nationally and it grew based on word of mouth and and when i say it grew it started as a collective in my actual living room here of like people gathering and just deciding that okay we're gonna have these like monthly meetups and we had a website and the website, um, I should say, I don't know, I, because we haven't said what Ring of Keys actually I is. I was literally going to stop gonna you after that. But yeah, I feel like, like because it was like the origin <laughs> leading up to it, I was like, maybe we'll organically get there. Yeah. But like, we so could I, just talk about what it. it. How it exists now in the current mission statement. I mean, it's currently a 501c3 nonprofit and it's an artist service organization that fosters community and visibility for queer women, trans and non-binary artists working in musical theater. So what it, what it started as is a collective for that very same group, queer women, trans and non-binary artists. Um, I formalized it into being a nonprofit during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, but our main source uh, resource, you could say, was this directory. That was kind of the big brainchild of what we could do um, beyond these monthly potlucks was it should serve as a resource for casting and hiring in that I think so often as queer people like, especially if you're like um, not visibly queer to some, you want this, like you almost want to be wearing this shirt that says like, I'm queer, cast me in the queer role. Right. Um, so this, so the website was this hiring resource, all the profiles of Ring of Keys members, you opt in, you sign up, you're a part of the community through this directory. Um, and it started just as like a Squarespace website. And then it just like grew exponentially and yeah. people were, telling friends and it was growing through word of mouth. And suddenly we had like all of these applications, you could say, of people wanting to be added to this directory. And it was a lot of sort of like admin labor. Mm. And Royer very quickly was like, uh, I don't know if this is for me. I don't really do the admin thing. Like, I don't even know how to really do Gmail. <laughs> I mean, like, don't get me wrong. She's a brilliant individual. She went to Northwestern. No, those things are uh, not, those yeah, they are not, not correlated, yeah. not yeah. at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, I don't know, I think. And I was like, at the same time, I was having the reverse response of like, oh my God, I want to grow this thing. I want to make it a nonprofit. Like, 
let's do all the things. And so um, I very quickly kind of took the helm with her permission to kind of continue to grow it and evolve it. And um, she was sort of like my my co-pilot who was like in the bathroom, you know, <laughs> Love. we need them. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. Like she was like, I got you, but I'm not going to like do the work. And like in the way of like she was helping where she could. But like mm-hmm. anyway, so, yeah, it just kind of started as a thing that and was, this was officially like the website part started. Mm-hmm. What year? We launched January 15th, 2018. OK, yeah, got it. And then be five years, actually. It's amazing. So you became a nonprofit. Formalized. In, yeah, 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 yeah. In 2020. Yeah. That was like my pandemic project. It was Got hard. It, it was Why really hard. did you decide to do that? For funding sake or? Financial sustainability. Yes. Okay. It became clear that we were growing and I was like hurdling the responsibility of like 600 artists on my shoulders. So mm-hmm. my mental health was suffering because I felt very responsible for, and this is my own like therapy shit, right? Like I felt like, oh my God, responsible for like these artists being amplified. And um, I was taking it on so much emotionally, but I also felt like I- all of this was unpaid too. It was a volunteer endeavor. And so I was like, this is going to, I'm going to burn out. So for my own sake, for the the future of the um, organization, it felt necessary to grow to, to be a 501c3 so we could apply for grants, so we could have individual contributions. You know, we were um, fiscally, uh, what's it called? Sponsored. Fiscally sponsored. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Through Fractured Atlas for yeah. two years before that. So yeah, that was like the stepping stone to nonprofit world. Yeah. And so um, I also then about a year later made the decision that I actually was going to pass the torch and no longer lead the organization. And that was a very, very, very difficult decision. Um, But what drove you to that? Yeah, there were a number of factors. What I'll share is that it was mental health, really, primarily, Mm -hmm. um, and taking care of myself. And it was consuming me Mm -hmm. in like, the best of ways and the worst of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I I needed to take care of myself and I need to take care of my own career, which I'd put on the back burner to be in service to my community. And I felt like I could very well, well just dissolve the whole thing, but it was serving a lot of people. And I thought like the, the harder, but more like noble choice would be to like pass it and like have a whole search and find a new leader for the organization. And that wonderful person is Aslan France, who is Chicago based and, um, associate producer at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, as well as now our the executive director, which wow. is the title I gave myself as the founder um, when I formalized. It's so funny to like create something from scratch because you're like just making it up. You're like, yeah. what does what do you call the person that is running a nonprofit? Oh, OK, yeah. I guess I'm executive director now. You yep. know what I mean? I do. So I very weird. much do. Here I am. So weird. <laughs> you know, and it, it just grew really fast. And yeah. people when there was criticism, um, it was really tough because it's just me on the other end. And it's yeah. just me like sitting in my bedroom. But I like my, my wife would say that all the time. She's like, do they know that it's just like you volunteering your time out of the goodness of your heart because you just really believe in, you know, like representation and community. And yeah. like, it's just like, ah, it's just one person. It's just mm-hmm. one person doing all this. So yeah. just got like to be a lot. Um, I really, I really appreciate you being so open and vulnerable about that. I think if anybody were to listen to any of the earlier episodes about mental health, I think here, at least in the Empowered Artists Collective spaces, we're really trying to like destigmatize the conversations at minimum about it, where it's just, mm-hmm. 
so many of us artists Mm -hmm. at various points in our lives go through the ups and downs and the possible extremes of what those feel like depending on who you are, where you are, Mm -hmm. what you are. And for better or for worse, we don't talk about it, whereas it actually is in some ways a unifier because we really – most of us experience a version of it at some point. And like Mm -hmm. it would, if anything, enhance community to be more open to support one another in these ways. So Thank you for sharing so openly. Yeah. And thank you for saying that because I'm still, I still stigmatize it. Like it's very hard for me to be vulnerable about mental health. I'm older. Like I'm not um, a 20 something who can, who grew up in an environment that I think that it's different than the one I grew up in where it's, you can talk about therapy. You can talk about having anxiety. Like those are things that, you know, I didn't even realize I had anxiety until like, I couldn't name it until I was like in my late twenties because we just didn't talk about those things. Mm -hmm. I'm 40 now. So it's, you know, it's, it's just a different, um, different environment. So it still feels very um, uncomfortable. Yeah. So I appreciate you doing that. Even if you were more like seasoned or whatever that is about like talking about it, it still is something (laughs) that's personal and vulnerable. And I think it takes, I don't know, I would argue a better leadership to recognize when that actually is what makes a leader, in my opinion, is somebody who is like, my capacity is at this. And because I believe in this so much, that is why somebody else has to. Like what better Mm -hmm. leadership would that be to be Mm -hmm. able to delegate something instead of taking it on? And then for all of the other reasons, then it falls apart. It's not even noble. It's it's actually what leadership is, (laughs) I would argue. Um, Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think we've had a lot of um, warped understanding of leadership in our society since Trump. I think there's kids growing up that are like, you think about our our current Gen Z 22-year-old voters, like they were 16 when Trump was elected. Mm -hmm. And so there's a real like kind of distrust of leadership, I feel, in our society. And we've watched it happen within our own theater community. Um, And so I I have a lot of compassion for leaders right now and leadership because not everyone is, is... an awful scumbag like Trump, but it kind of, we, we all get kind of put under that category. Yeah. 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 And I think, um, I just, I have a lot of compassion for people leading in the theater industry during the, like the last couple of years, because it's been fucking hard and challenging. Still is. I would still is. Yeah. Yeah. Still is. And I imagine it will continue to be for Mm -hmm. A period of time, you know, you're mm-hmm. playing catch up in addition to trying to make progress. It's right. like a, you're simultaneously trying to do two things at once. Beautiful. So you co-founded this organization and it expanded beyond your wildest belief. So what is it doing now or what is the purpose that it's serving now? And how have you found the reception has been, say, on the other side of the table, which I guess, is who initially you were using this as like a resource for them. Mm -hmm. How has that been? Um, Really good questions. Let me see if I can unpack all of those. I think one of the things that running a nonprofit that you learn is that kind of trying to find the data on how um, on impact can be um, really challenging but what I know is the personal stories of people and the ways in which the organization has helped them. While it might seem kind of elusive or hard to kind of pinpoint, yeah. what the organization is doing is creating all of these rings, literally, of networks of people meeting. There are people that have their entire queer friendship group that they met through Ring of Keys. There are people that have new collaborators because they met through this organization. There's a couple that are married that met through Ring of Keys. Oh, my God. Um, 
So it's creating these, this community, it's doing exactly what I had hoped it would do, which is, was to provide an opportunity to network with our people. And um, that's what's happening internally. And then externally, what happens is... Pausing you for a moment. Internally, are you still having said like potlucks? Are you still... Are you having... Right, right. Thank you. Um, No. So because we grew so quickly nationally that we spent a lot lot less time like on the individual city Mm -hmm. meetups, which we were having for a bit and starting to grow momentum on like individual city meetups. And then the pandemic happened. And then we put all of our focus towards virtual programming. And in the first month of the pandemic, we increased our programming from to 800% from like to like eight uh, workshops that we offered that first month. Um, And really, they were just tangible skill set things like financial toolkit and um, yoga for mental health. And um, we even did like a crafting one. So they were really more like unrelated to being queer in musical theater. I mean, we also did like panels and, you know, a a casting director showcase and, but it was about building community. It was about having people meet each other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We did like a songwriting matchmaking, which was really fun too. Um, So all of that has, you know, um, I think as the pandemic, you know, carried on and people got a little Zoom fatigued, I think we kind of lessened our Zoom virtual programming, but we've continued to offer them sporadically as far mm-hmm. as like building that community. The directory continues to be our main resource and casting directors, directors, um, all kinds of theater industry folk are using that as a resource to find queer artists for queer roles or queer artists for any role. Um, And the other component of, or like umbrella um, in our, in the organization, as far as what we're doing to like help foster that visibility is the um, Queering the Canon concert series, which is something I created and launched in 2020, right before the pandemic. And um, we love those moments. We love the right right before moments. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. Those those fill up with like a a full feeling of like, we know. We're going somewhere. We're going somewhere. We don't know that it's going to end. I feel like anytime anybody mentions I started this right before the pandemic there. I have a visceral response to what that is. Like I, my body yeah. is still like, I know that feeling. Yeah. However, in this instance, yes, I totally like 100% agree with that. Like, yes. Great. If this one's a great positive ending. This one, yeah. It. I mean, because cool. it was always just going to be a one night only benefit concert and the next one probably wouldn't have happened till 21 anyway, but we so we we did this concert and it actually was this great launching pad towards a whole series. So it started as a one concert. What it is is concerts that showcase all Ring of Keys members. Um, it started as the one benefit concert and then grew into being three concert series. And the series itself each evening featured a different songwriter. So it was Queering the Canon Sondheim, Queering the Canon Kander and Ebb, and Andrew Lloyd Webber. On those yeah. evenings, uh, the songs were queered by the nature of the casting so all Sondheim songs queered through the performers themselves and uh the response songs to those Sondheim songs for instance were new songs written by Ring of Keys songwriters and it was really really fun in you know in concert in action to see the way all of the songwriters took the assignment 
and the way they would write against or in response to one example is like Maria from West Side Story. We that song was sung by a black queer woman, uh, Ashley Blanchett, and the response song was called Emma, and it was written by key member Joanna Burns. And it had like the same melodic yearning as Maria, mm. but it was about meeting this girl, this woman meeting another woman, Emma, in a Starbucks. And it's like a comedic song um, sung by Ariella Serrer. So yes. it was a really fun, fun night, you know, because so often from a producing standpoint, it can be hard to do a whole night of like new, new works to get those evenings to sell. But what was great about this conceit is that we actually um people loved it like they were like so excited to see what the new song was going to be and that is our new canon you know that is the, yeah. the the future we sold out joe's pub two of the three nights this this concert series that ended up just happening this past january february and march wow. of 2022 it was like my final swan song before i stopped leading the organization um it was like the height of omicron yeah that was truly the and like we still like managed to do it and nobody wow. and I have I I had ninety four artists involved in this series wow and wow, wow. not one had to like drop out because of COVID. I don't know how we made that work. Yeah. The gods of whatever yeah. were like this must be yeah this must be. I think like you know, patience is a virtue because we had to delay that series twice. Mm -hmm. It was supposed to happen in 21. We got grant funding for it. Then we had to push it all the way to this winter because of the pandemic. So I was like, I don't know. It ended up being just like this beautiful showcase of visibility. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of, I think, examples of how the organization is making an impact and how um, it's serving the community. Yeah. I'm really proud of, of the work. You should be. Yeah. Thanks. Have you been using the same monologue for years and could use a new piece? Are you applying to BA, BFA, or MFA programs and need a monologue for that process? Are you someone who simply has no idea where to search for monologues? Well, lucky for you, I do what is called monologue sourcing, in which I find monologues specifically chosen for you. So many artists use pieces based off external labeling for types and roles rather than find pieces sharing who they really are and what speaks to them. So we'll meet virtually together. You share who you are as a human, what you love, your dislikes, your values, beliefs, family, friends, love, politics, you name it. I will help guide you through this. And then I go off on my own and find you monologues chosen just for you that fit like a glove. I've been doing monologue sourcing for years as an extension of the coaching I do with artists, and I have found pieces in this way for over hundreds of artists thus far. So if you are someone who wants to feel empowered about the monologues you bring into rooms and use for auditions, I would love to help you find them. And because you are a dedicated listener of the Empowered Artist Collective podcast, I want to provide you with a custom link to an exclusive rate when you check out today. Head to empoweredartistcollective.com slash podcast promo to register. That's empoweredartistcollective.com slash podcast promo right now. I cannot wait to help you find monologues you absolutely adore. I mean, obviously, you're no longer at the official helm of it, but I guess 
what is the ideal vision long term in terms of and I don't like impact because again that's not yeah it's not necessarily tangible but like what is it it's just that the community continues to grow and continues to support itself and that people each other and and then other people know that it exists and then continue to use it as a resource and it just continues moving in that capacity is it that it I don't know yeah i mean i built a 5 year strategic plan for the organization at this point it's not really my responsibility or role to see that through because it's no longer being, right. I'm no longer leading it. I think the vision for me would be for it to have respect within our community of like taken seriously and the artists themselves are respected and not marginalized and, you know, at the center of all productions across the country, really. Um, I know that's a big dream, but no, I think but we can dream that. Yeah. I think if you don't have the dream, then you have mm -hmm. nothing you're moving towards, right? Like yeah. it's, it's different if you're, you know, clouded about the fact that like there are many steps to get to that. You know, mm -hmm. if you're just like, it's going to happen tomorrow. I think that's, that's the, I'd be like, 12 hours. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, but let's, let's like recalibrate a little, but like, I think to yeah. have that, you know, as something that you're working towards, then you, there are many, many, many steps and paths that one can take to get there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know? I think it will always serve as a as a community for people mm -hmm. in a network. Um, and that's, you know, it can I, I continue to be like, what's the word benefactor of all of these relationships? Because I so closely and intimately got to know the work of all of these artists so that I could know how best to amplify everyone in mm -hmm. the in the organization. Yeah. So um, I'm like, I literally know dozens and hundreds and hundreds of people because of because of this. Yeah. Well, I guess this is like a two-folded moment. One is if any if somebody does identify under that umbrella, like what are the steps for them if they wanted to get involved? Let's start there. Sure. Yeah. A ringofkeys.org. You would go on the website and there's an apply button and it's a five-minute application really kind of just submitting your uh, resume, headshot. Um, we have a vetting process just to kind of like weed out haters. We're not going to like people – Often they self-identify. We, we're not, you know, we're not policing anyone's identity. Um, but we have like requirement of like one professional credit. So that's not for, it's not for the youths unless they, unless they have. Although we have yet to have anyone under 18. And I think it's probably going to remain that way. Um, so yeah, and that's kind of it. And then you become a Ring of Keys member and you're part of the community. You're part of the fold. Um if you are not somebody who identifies under that umbrella, yeah. what are the ways in which you can support and or get involved and or be a part of the community as an ally or as yeah. a whatever? How How is that? Thank you for asking that question. Um, I think you can subscribe to our newsletter through our website. You can attend our concerts. You can donate, which is mm -hmm. always helpful to keep the, the lights on. And, um, you know, there's ringofkeys.org donate button on there like any nonprofit um we are strapped for resources we are tiny but mighty i think um our current industry and uh, the, certainly the future that i think many of us are trying to build is um there's an obvious need for this and there's a calling for it but i think um you know the future demands inclusivity mm -hmm. it's it's asking for it and i think at this point in the in the in the game i think most people in our industry right now, like, believe that, I would think. They understand it. They get it. We're all on the same page of, like, we need inclusivity. It's important. I would argue 
I would argue, I would argue that not everyone. That, I think, and this is maybe me, me being a realist as I'd like to self-identify, mm-hmm. yeah. is that on the surface, yeah, I think everybody genuinely does want inclusivity. I think where it gets messy is at A, whose expense, and B, what does inclusivity mean? Like, who are we being inclusive of and of what point? And can we do it all simultaneously? And, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, that's the other part I was going to say of that thought is that I think we have all different ways of how we get there and what mm-hmm. that looks like. And that's where it gets hard and, and messy. messy and complicated and um, a lot of conflict over yeah. how we get there and who, like you said, at whose expense. And um, it's it is easy for people to just say like, I believe in inclusion. I know that that's important. Yeah. I see a lot of people saying it that are not acting on it. And I see a lot of, um, a lot of performativity, um, especially on social media, because our our industry loves to perform on there. Mm-hmm. Well, we um, are a bunch of performers. In, in so on, yes. You know, on top of the stage, <laughs> we also perform there. Um, and I see a lot of um, people like it's it's trending. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it's trending. This is what we're talking about now. It's like, do you actually like? Are you actually doing the work? Do you care? It's okay if you're not like able to do the work. Um, if you're not in a position to to be able to like a, a powerful position to be able to like make change or um well I guess that is I mean are you cool to unpack that with me or even attempt to just talk about that because I think that is that these are the larger questions that I have I don't have answers to them but just like what is it to do the work of this type of inclusion right like obviously ring of keys exists and that is a step in the right direction of like now you have access to people that you might have otherwise been like well I don't know where to find them well you have them here like yeah. now you can't pretend that you don't know because there's literally a resource that many of whom are on mm-hmm. right so that like you can't pretend that you, that doesn't exist so now that you have that then it becomes like well what do you do with that or how do you know and i guess we're not going to solve this in any capacity here. But I think it's important to at least like if you're game to just bring it into this space for a second of like in your mind's eye, what are some ways that people can quote unquote do that work purposefully? When you say people, let's let's start there. But, like, yeah, let's break it down. Let's do let's let's start with um, producers. Well, that's the easy one. I mean, they have all the right. control. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I'm starting easy. I'm not like a, I'm not going to be like, hey. <laughs> um. So when you're looking at your budget mm-hmm. and you're figuring out, I think a budget is a moral document. So we're starting there. Like you need to be able to, if you care about inclusivity and you care about really, I think, broadening the landscape, then like the choices that you make and where you're spending money has to be reflected. Great. I love that. There. Do you know Chie Morita? Yeah. Oh my God. Chie helps Ring of Keys so much. I was going to say, because Chie, Chie has, has it's been, a moral document. That's it. I was like, I know that phrase because yeah, she said it. I will quote her. Yeah. Yep. Chie's episode, tune on in <laughs> many an episode back. Yep. I was like, I know that phrase. It has to be from Chie. There's no mm-hmm. other way. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Beautiful. Okay. What about casting directors? Using your resources. I mean, I think, um, I think I've seen a lot of amazing growth through breakdowns for an example mm-hmm. but um for anybody listening breakdowns are like when people when people are listing their specific casting breakdown of the roles that they are looking for the ways in which they can communicate the breakdown the aesthetic the look the type all of these words that we hate that have to do with marketing and branding but basically how they can label that according to casting needs for filling their parts 
Yeah, I um I've seen a lot of growth when it comes to breakdowns as to how roles are described. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, we see not just female identifying or um, woman, man, uh, we see uh, any gender or um, historically played by women. And we'll see all uh, genders for this role. Just the expanding our our understanding of gender and understanding, expanding our thinking of what's possible casting directors educating themselves on what it means to see think outside of that box that we're normally associating the role with is the work for them to challenge themselves to think outside of who who can play Cinderella in Into the Woods mm-hmm. because in queering the canon we had a non-binary actor named Avery who sang this shit out of on the steps of the palace and there's no reason in my mind that Avery can't play that role and at a, you know, in a production of Into the Woods. It's a little more challenging as when we start to break it down now into like key signatures and voice parts. And that's where it starts to get um, complicated, complicated for sure. Mm-hmm. And I, and that's money and yeah. money is time is money. Yeah. But that doesn't mean we, we don't continue to keep pushing the envelope on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about, and I mean, there's some, we can talk about directors, we can talk about choreographers, we can talk about fellow actors, but I want to, I guess, veer from, we're starting to hear, fellow listener, that there are ways to think about it in a in a way that is outside of oneself. But I, I guess then let's say somebody has decided to be more inclusive. How does one hold that space in the room for the newness that perhaps hasn't been present in that same way? How does one hold space for the newness? Yeah. Um, I guess I bring that up just because so many artists, and this is a conversation around not just, you know, queerness as a form of inclusivity we're talking about many other labels I mean we can go down the whole list of what needs to be held in these spaces but for the sake of this conversation if you are bringing somebody into the space who identifies in a way that is not on the cis spectrum how does one hold that space if one is newer to this type of inclusion I think the conversation is not one-sided I think Mm -hmm. that all, all people in the room are part of that conversation. Mm -hmm. And I don't think, I don't subscribe to the idea of like, you should be Googling my identity. Like you should already know everything about it. Like, like I, it's not my job to to educate you. I don't subscribe to that. Um, I think the newness and the way in which we can approach all of it is like listening Mm -hmm. and slowing down and compassion on both sides. I think um, change is hard. I think it's slow. Yeah, There's going to be like two steps uh, back before there's one step forward. Yeah. There's going to be backlash. Um, but just like looking at the incremental growth in the last five years to me is very heartening and very um, exciting. I think, you know, we all have very different ideas of how to get there. Like I said, I feel that my pedagogy is like using positive action for positive change. And that's not necessarily an ethos that everyone likes to subscribe to. I think a lot of people um, want to take things uh, more aggressively and more um, fast paced, mm-hmm. you know, and like change now, t- change yesterday. And like, I feel that in my core, but I think there's a certain, um, I think my life experience is such that I 
did feel like when I was 22, I wanted to burn it all down. And I've learned through experience that like it wasn't successful. And I think mm -hmm. like figuring out how to work within the framework to make those changes is, is the, is the way I like to work. Um, and again, not everyone agrees with that. Yeah. Um, but that was sort of the ethos that I, I, I used to build ring of keys and it continues to be the organization's ethos. Um, so with there being sort of conflict, even on how to create inclusion, even within our own queer communities, then like if, if, you know, we're not even on the same page, mm -hmm. how, how then can we even expect cis people or hetero, cis hetero people to, um, to sort of understand? Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is I just, I, I just take a more gentler approach maybe. Mm-hmm. And I just think to answer, to get to like this summary of your, of your question, it's like, it's, yeah, it's new. And we're going to, we're going to, we're going to hold hands and we're going to like, we're going to be okay. We're going to yeah. be okay. We're going to like work through this. Yeah. Well, I think, and I didn't mean to like push it and think that like, again, we were going to like solve it. I think it's more, you know, just a, you're in the space with me and I'm curious to hear your personal opinion about it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but B like. I think a lot of it is it's messy, you know, and it's and I think it's kind of going back to like when you shared so openly about, you know, like the desire to step away and like leadership. Like, I think it's all of us recognizing that we're humans. And if obviously intention and impact, they hold weight and sometimes we mess up and sometimes we fumble, but at least we've tried. And if we can acknowledge that the, the effort is really there and then like also from Chia, like, oops, ouch, you know, like if you yeah. can say like, I, there was a bruise here and I can own that I did that. And here is me trying again to do better next time. I think, you know, that is how, if we look back on any form of change that has happened in history, a lot of people messed up a lot, but they kept trying over and over and over again until they got it more right each time. Yeah. Movement building is, is tough, hard work and it's full of people making mistakes because it's all human centered it's all about yeah. humans i've made a shit ton of mistakes with ring of keys i and i own those mistakes i think um but like i would never want to have never started it you know mm -hmm. it's like that's doing the work um doing the work means making mistakes and i think any of us trying towards this toward a world of inclusivity utopia is like you know the the effort in and of itself is to me what should really be highlighted mm -hmm. and 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 like less on so much of what we're not doing when it comes to yeah. those doing the work. Yeah. I have a lot more to say about the people that aren't doing any work at all, but <laughs> if if you're out there doing it, you know. Yeah. I think we all have a lot of feelings about, <laughs> about that that you like that pile. Moat that pile over there, <laughs> the motion over there. <laughs> if anybody looked into the YouTube, you saw that there's a hand that extends to the side. It's the black hole. It's the black hole. <laughs> As we begin to wind down our time, yeah. if you think back to earlier parts of your artistic journey or lessons that you have now learned as you've been doing this for a lot longer, are there things that you wish you knew earlier or things that you would have told an earlier version of yourself that you now know that you would love to share with a listener? Oh my gosh, so many things. I Great. just think for the young artist listeners, like really trusting those instincts because- mm -hmm we're 
so often told to doubt ourselves. And the psychology of being an artist is wacky. The fact that we don't have any kind of security and the way that that kind of affects our psychosis, like it is kind of unreal and it's, it's unnatural. And it's, we're, we're sort of this, this square in a, like a circular world. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of always at odds with the way the rest of the world is operating, which is okay to be different and not subscribe to the rest of the world is working, but it does make things way more challenging. But when I think about that, just like health insurance, right? Like the way we have to get our health insurance, the way that we are so underpaid and as, and that's, I just mean like the arts in general, societally mm -hmm. our this country does not care and doesn't value the arts i think that was made all the more evident um during the pandemic um we kind of knew it in our hearts but it was like oh yeah it's 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 real they don't mm -hmm. it doesn't we don't care so i think as far as like what i wish i knew when i was younger i um just wish i listened to myself more and understand like and really kind of i had a lot of good ideas and i didn't always trust myself mm -hmm. Um, I didn't have the confidence um, and I didn't value myself. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of young artists who are growing up in a different climate than I grew up in. And so I think that they have a lot of confidence, in fact. Um, but for anyone out there that's listening that doesn't have that, <laughs> I um, I sort of I recommend listening to that voice inside you. That's, you know, like shutting up the, the doubt and uh, mm -hmm kind of really believing in yourself yeah and like do the thing that you think you're that you think is not um that you don't have like everyone always that starts something they always say like I didn't know what I was doing like I still don't know what I'm doing so it's just like <laughs> just make the thing because just start jump off leap because I just surely didn't know what I was doing when I started and didn't know how to make a nonprofit, and I did it yeah. so yeah. Um, thank you for being here and for going on this journey with me. For anybody yeah. who wants to follow along on your journey as an artist and or more information about Ring of Keys or any of those things that you potentially want to share, what are the best ways within your own boundaries that people can reach out and communicate with you? Yeah. My website is andreaprestonario.com. You can also find me on Instagram. My full name at andreaprestonario on Instagram. Um Ring of Keys. I, if you want to talk to me about Ring of Keys, I'm at Andrea at ringofkeys.org. You can also apply to be a key through ringofkeys.org, or you can subscribe to our newsletter through there or donate. I love that. Um, is there anything on your heart before we depart? That's a cute little rhyme, Jen. Oh my God, have I not done that before? Okay, alliteration. Hello. I am I'm just a big fan and I cannot get over that. We same. I don't know either. But we're here now. We're here now. This is the beginning. Thanks for having me. I Thank like, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's been fun. Same. If you liked this week's episode or any of our other episodes, please like, rate, follow, and most importantly, review us on Apple Podcasts. I cannot begin to express how important this is for us to continue reaching other artists who want to be having these conversations as well. If you did not like this episode, please just let it all slide. If you have not yet done so, please follow us on Instagram at Empowered Artists Collective, on TikTok at Empower Artists Collective, more on our website at empoweredartistscollective.com. And if you are seeking some merch Merchandise, we got you in the show notes. As always, I am so endlessly grateful that you keep on coming back, and we will be back again next week. 
Until then. <laughs> <laughs>